Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. If it's not for you, it's for me, so please indulge me. And it's not from Zechariah 9, Zechariah 10. We'll finish weird little books, I mean big little books, before it's all over with. But tonight I got a word for you. It's a little different. And uh, <clears throat> let's just see where it goes. It, it could flop. This could be a big flop. I'll take that chance. But I just, I just want to preach to you what I feel in my heart. John chapter 6, starting with verse 1, going through 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a certain or great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude came toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may even have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here. He's got five barley loaves and two small fish. Oh, Andrew, who's always checking everybody's situations out? He said, But what are they among so many? Basically, he's like, He's got a happy meal we got a whole bunch of people here. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so they, the men sat down in a number, about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. So then when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up. And filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. And today, tonight, I'd like to preach a message, and I have a title for it. It's called Subtract to Multiply. Subtract to Multiply. Sometimes... When God's about to multiply some things in your life, he starts subtracting some things in your life. And you're like, what? I'm going to preach about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd help me to preach, help us to hear God. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. We give you praise. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Great to have guests in the house. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this story. It's spectacular. This miracle touched more people personally than any other that Jesus did. Up to 20,000 people at this feeding of the 5,000, as it's often called. Jesus had been in Jerusalem during Passover and was on his way out to Galilee. Crowds began to follow him, thousands upon thousands. So he hikes up to the top of a mountain near the Sea of Galilee This is the Golan Heights, looking over into Jordan, and he sat down and he began to teach, and he taught all day long. All day long. 
if you've got something to say, that's a dream, right? If you don't have anything to say and you're in the crowd, that's a nightmare, right? And uh, taught all day long. John 5, 19 says that Jesus, as a man, only did what his father told him to do. Because he surrendered his Godhead powers. We see this in the Bible, Philippians. And he functioned as a man anointed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit in a covenant with God. And so we can conclude that his father had led Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, to Jerusalem for Passover. And then his father had led him back to Galilee. And then his father had led him up the mountain. And then his father had led him to teach the crowd. And here's what I want you to notice about that. I, I mentioned that because here's what we need to notice. His father did not lead him to have food trucks waiting on them on the mountain. Some taco trucks. You know, remember during Hurricane Ida, we had a taco truck parked right here. It was just feeding the thousands, the multitudes over here. Unfortunately for us and for our church, the advertisement, the name of the truck was, uh, what was it? Uh, La Chica Sexy. Yeah. But man, they had some good, they had some good food. I'm gonna tell you right now, and they they were they was pretty funny. And we're so glad y'all made it back. They were down there with, with uh, Carson's family in Maui, and were taking off as the fires were coming in. Yeah, amen. Thank God they made it out, and we need to pray for Maui and those wonderful people. So, no food trucks, no catering service. His father didn't say, uh, hey, son, I need you to order some takeout. Uh, There's going to be a lot of people there. No Uber Eats. So <clears throat> the Lord's omniscient, right? And uh, you would think that he knew all these people were going to get hungry. Common sense. Common sense lets us know that um, if all these people are hiking, <laughs> And they're sitting there for hours listening to Jesus preach. And sooner or later, they're going to get hungry. I compete with your lunch every Sunday. I'm, for some of you, I'm competing with supper right now. Have you ever been sitting in church and your stomach growls really, really loud to where your neighbors hear it? And they give you that look? And you're like, yeah, that was, that was me, you know. I hadn't eaten yet, you know. I haven't eaten supper tonight. I'm hungry. So it's kind of common sense that they're going to get hungry. And uh, so here's what I'm saying. That uh, Jesus, it doesn't look like he is prepared. But it, the Spirit of God is, is speaking to the man Christ Jesus. He's functioning as a man in a covenant, anointed by the Spirit, and, and he said, I only do those things my father tells me to do. And he's, he's following this. The, the father has a plan. He's following his father. And he has such peace about it. And the Lord has given him some direction. And he knows the rest of the plan. But Philip doesn't know it. So he's like, hey, I, I got a question for you. What, how are we going to feed all these people? It's kind of teasing him, right? The Bible says he's testing him. He, he's, he's like, what? Well, so what do you think we ought to do? How are we going to feed this crowd? Philip is sarcastic, I think. He pops right back. It would take half a year's wages to feed this crowd, Jesus. That's everybody getting just a little bit. There's so many people out here. 
And if you read between the lines, Philip is saying, you, you really, you kind of missed it. You didn't think this through, Master. You dropped the ball today. And so Philip in this test is getting testy, right? He's, he's not really doing well in the test. And it seems that after Jesus had simply followed his father's instruction and was on site, that he's in this impossible situation, it's too late to turn around. And, and the father, though, unveiled a plan, and it was a plan on how the crowd would be fed. Because, and this is interesting, this is cool, the, the father was going to feed that crowd. That was a settled fact. That was, a, that was really not in doubt. But how he would do it, that was the question. I can relate to that. Um, you know, God's going to take care of his own. You can bank on it. That's a settled fact. How he's going to do that, uh, I don't always know. But that doesn't change the fact that he will. My Bible still tells me, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My Bible still says, Jesus said it, take no thought for the morrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings, but your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask. He takes care of the flowers of the field. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't know how, but I do know He will. Now, this is key. God's going to make sure that He gets the glory, and no man is going to glory in His presence. You're going you're gonna to know that it was God that brought you through. God told Moses when, when they were looking at the Exodus, he's like, I'm going to show you my right hand. I'm going to show you my glory. He wasn't saying all your education, Moses, that you got in Egypt, you're going to now have a chance to shine and use all those formulas and stuff. No, he didn't say that. He's like, you're going to see my glory. You're going to see what I can do. When I get you out of this situation, you don't know how I'm going to do it, but I promise you, you're going to know it was me who did it. So, back to our story. There's no food trucks. That was on purpose. There's no caterers. That's on purpose. There's nobody there that had a thousand fish and a thousand loaves of bread that they could slice and dice and cut up like sushi. That was by design. That was on purpose as well. As a matter of fact, I would argue that anybody that may have been coming with a food truck, some kind of catering service that said, hey, there's some money to be made there, or anybody coming with a, a big bunch of food to that event, the Lord was going to make sure they were diverted or that their food rotted or that it didn't make it there because God wanted to maximize the miracle to make sure he got all the glory. So he subtracted to multiply. Are you with me? I have found that God will minimize our resources to maximize our dependence on Him. God will decrease our resources to increase our trust in Him. He'll reduce our own resources to introduce us to, introduce us to His resources. He will subtract from us to multiply His abundance in our life. And some of you, and this is what I felt, are at a place where it seems like the bottom's falling out and you have less now to meet the needs, to see the dream come true than when you first started praying and believing about it 
and you're thinking, wow, I am minimizing, I am decreasing, I am reducing. But here's the deal. The odds may seem like they're less in your favor, but you need to start thinking supernaturally. God is for you. He's not against you. He's on your side. And he may subtract so he, that, so he can multiply and make the miracle an even greater miracle in your life. You may have lost people. You may have lost money. You may have lost a promotion, a job, a house, a business. I could take it further. A marriage, a relationship, situations. Let them go. Let, don't go chasing down what God subtracted from you. If you'll trust God, he'll begin to multiply in your life and get you everything you need. My assignment tonight is to tell you to fear not. God is with you. He's on your side. It may, be, it may look like you're further away than ever, but you're not. He's reduced your resources to introduce you to his. Well, what can you do? Well, I can do this. Well, let's take that off the table. Now the question is, well, God, what can you do? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. And when I get you through this, you're going to look back and say, it was only God. It was only God. I had a conversation this week. It was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, talking to a CPA and, and uh, making plans for the future. And, and, and I was telling him about... Uh, uh, our banker, John, I love John. John's a great guy. And some of you have met John. John comes down occasionally, and uh, he'll be at our dedication. But I, I was just uh, talking to this guy, and I said, I said, uh, man, we love John. You know, John was uh, just a gift. God sent him into our, 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 um, our lives and at our church at just the right time. And, and we ended up... Uh, the, the CPA, he didn't know anything about our building here. And I said, I mean, he knew we owned one, but he didn't know anything about our building. And I said, he, uh, I said, we, John, John was just instrumental. The Lord used him greatly to help us get into this building. And, and then I stopped and I said, and let me tell you about our building. I said, we have one of the most uh, sought after pieces of property in Ascension Parish the fastest growing parish in Louisiana for years now. We bought a building uh, about eight, nine years ago, and when we bought the building, there was nothing out here hardly. And as soon as we bought it, Walmart bought across the street from us and built a Walmart. And the guy's like, wow, that's awesome. And I said, not only that, I said, but then they had all these other uh, places, Freddy's, and I mean, you know, it's not like the same when you say Starbucks and Freddy's, but Freddy's came first. And, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm linear like that. So I'm like, you know, Walmart came in and then Freddy's. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and Starbucks came in and then McDonald's built next to us, adjacent to us. And the guy's like, wow. And I said, man, it's just amazing what God has done let me just tell you right now, to God be the glory. We didn't manufacture that. We didn't make that happen. The Lord made that happen. Can you give God some praise right now? 
It's been a while since I told that story to somebody that didn't know it, and and it, and he rejoiced with me. He's like, man, I I bet that major valuation go up. I was like, oh yeah, yes it did. It was awesome. And so I just want you to know that he's going to get the praise. I'm reminded of a story in Judges chapter six. Judges six. Uh, verses 3 through 6, and I think I'm going to end up going through 10 by the time we get done with this. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up also, Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Is this okay? You guys all right? Or isn't it exciting? Are you with me? Okay, all right. <clears throat> then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Israel would plant and water, work their fields, only to see their harvest just devoured, wiped out by the Midianites. Let me say this. Some of you have sown, you've worked your fields, and you've seen your harvest stolen by the enemy. The problem was not the strength of the Midianite army, the problem was the weakness of the Israelites' faith. That was really the problem. Their fear of the gods of the Amorites was greater than their faith in the true and the living God. Some scholars point out that Midianite refers to the national identity of these people, like American, and Amorite refers to their religious identity of the same people, like we would say Christian. The Amorites worshipped Amuru, among other gods, and they were notorious in their religion, fierce, religiously. One commentator says, roaming about, seeking whom they may devour. They were known for eating raw meat, and they were infamous, infamous for their ritualized murder of children. And the Israelites were scared of them and their gods and their religion and their ferocity. And so the Israelites would lose their harvest year after year because they were afraid of these people. They were afraid these people were going to take their stuff, take their kids. And, uh, you know... I got to say it, I've preached this many times, but I got to say it, uh, the devil's after our kids, school just started, and some of us will get all worked up thinking that the devil's going to devour our babies, and, and, and he wants us to think that way, the devil does, have us running scared, having more faith in the, the God of this world to destroy our kids than faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to keep our kids. It's really fear in the enemy, and it's not faith in God. The enemy wants us to, to think that they'll never live for God. The pull of the world is too strong. The Internet's just too powerful. 
what I live, what I believe is not attractive to my kids. But you hear what I'm saying, the devil is a liar. My Bible tells me, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. Children are an inheritance, a heritage from the Lord. They belong to God. We dedicate those babies to the Lord, and God is faithful to keep what we've committed to him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words I command you shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you'll talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand, frontless between your eyes. You'll write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I come against fear of losing our children to the God of this world. Come on now. I believe in the next generation that's going to turn this world upside down. We worship with 35,000 young people up in St. Louis, Missouri just a few weeks ago. It was amazing as they lifted up the name of Jesus. And it wasn't just some kind of rock and roll show and some kind of music uh, extravaganza, just putting on a show. There were times when there was no music and there were 30,000 kids on their faces before God crying out to the, the name of the living God. It's powerful. Powerful. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And let me just say this. Notice what he said. You're going to teach this in your house. You know, we want the Sunday school teachers, but as the kids' teachers, we want them to do all the heavy lifting. And we want uh, McGuire, Sienna, and our student pastors to do all the heavy lifting. If you ain't doing the heavy lifting in your living room, you are not living up to that word right there. You need to do the heavy lifting. You need an altar in your house. Those kids need to hear you pray in your house. You need to take communion with those kids in your house and say, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We've set a bloodline in Jesus' name. you got to talk that way to your babies. If you're going to teach word, you need to ingest word. You need a word understanding to share it with those kids. So you've got to do the heavy lifting personally, and then you've got to pass it on. We got a little bird. That, we keep getting these silly birds. They, oh, it's so frustrating. But we have these curtains on our, on our back patio, and uh, they're tied up, and they look pretty. It's, it's got it all looking pretty. And here's what birds love to do. The birds love to fly in those curtains. And before we know it, they've done built a nest, laid eggs. And, and, and now, like, if you mess with the curtain, I did one time. The nest fell down. All these eggs broke. The mama's, like, sitting on the fence looking at me like, why'd you do that? The dogs are like, I'm like, get away. So they've done, gone and done it again, you know. But you know what that mama bird does? I don't want to gross you out, but she's going and chewing that food up, going back and feeding those babies. You've got to ingest. You've got to take that word in and then deliver it to your, your young ones while they're pliable. Because the world is going to try to get them set in concrete in a in, in, enculturated 
to, to the, this world system. And the devil is mean and he is a liar and, and he's cruel and he's a, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But in Jesus' name, I'm putting word. I'm fortifying my kids. I'm inoculating my kids against the virus of this world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I believe that stuff. So <clears throat> Israel, they're being tortured by the Midianites. They become desperate. They cry out to God for help. God sends them a prophet with a word. I love the way the Lord works. Verses 7 through 10, it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. That's their religious name. In whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Well, that's not a very comforting word. You know, like I would like him to say, but it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. He really just calls them out straight up and says, you didn't do what I told you to do. That's why you're in the mess you're in. Eventually, somewhere down the line, it's always good to be self-aware, you know. And so God then calls Gideon. And Gideon is this kid that is uh, found when we find when we see him in Scripture. He's found. He is in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. Now it was illegal for them to go and get wheat and thresh the wheat. And so because of this, he wouldn't thresh the wheat in the normal place, which is a threshing floor. So he goes to a wine press. I mean, they don't have wheat. So they certainly don't have wine. So he goes to a wine press. Last place they're going to look for somebody stealing wheat and threshing the wheat, trying to make bread. That's bottom line. And so he goes to a wine press, and he's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And there's an angel that's sitting over under a tree. I love this story. There's an angel of the Most High God that's like looking at him going, look at that fella. He is just defying the odds. This guy's something else. So the Lord sends this angel to him, and he says, uh, You mighty man of valor, look at you. And he really was a brave, courageous man. I'll talk about that in a moment. And uh, he said, I'm going to use you to, um, to do something extraordinary. I'm going to use you. To overthrow the Midianites, the Amorites, these people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you to overthrow them. And uh, I'll rush through the story. He's reluctant, he's hesitant, he's like, Are you talking to me? Seriously? Really? What? What? Uh, and, and and he's like, Yeah, I am. And so he says, Here's here's the way this is gonna go down. He said, uh, I want you to send out a call, and I want you to say, Hey, everybody, uh, we're about to defeat this old enemy of ours. God's called me. And uh, does anybody want to join me? 32,000 men show up. 32,000. That's pretty cool. Now, it's still 
a drop in the bucket of what's needed because the Amorites, the Midianites, they're like, their camels and their personnel are like locusts. They're just like innumerable. Well, obviously, who, these guys that show up, they are innumerable. There's 32,000 of them. And the Lord said to Gideon, this, this is what I love. This is pretty awesome. He says, uh, uh, you've got too many. Because if you win with 32,000 men, then you're going to take the credit for it. Now, I mean, that had to be disappointing. I mean, Gideon had to feel at least somewhat successful. He's kind of like a church planter. And he's like, I'm starting a church. We're going to take back what the devil stole from us. Anybody want to join my church? Whew, 32,000 people show up. What a grand opening. I mean, he could hit the circuit, the church planting speaking circuit. I mean, he has hit the mother load. But God says, nope, that's too many. You're going to take the credit. So he says, I want you to thin the herd. Here's what you're going to do. Tell these people, if you're afraid, go home. Now, Gideon probably thought that hardly any of them would leave because he had been so brave himself. And, you know, they had heeded his word. So he's thinking that they are hearing what he's preaching, you know. They believe his word. He's, he's like, 32,000 show up. He's the preacher, and they're like, here we are. So he's like, listen, if you're afraid, I want you to go home. He's probably thinking, we'll probably lose a handful, you know. So how many does he lose? Well, guess how many go home? Uh, 22,000. Can I tell you, most people are afraid to do what God's called them to do. Most people. They're terrified. And fear takes you out of the game. That's what I'm preaching against tonight. Fear. Now, I look at these things kind of in a 360. You could say, well, those 22,000, they didn't have the experience that Gideon had. They didn't see the angel of the Lord and hear those words. That's true, but I think the reason they didn't is because they weren't the ones out there risking it all like Gideon was, stealing wheat and threshing it in a wine press. Gideon had learned how to conquer his fear. Faith and courage. If you don't hear anything I say tonight, hear this. Faith and courage have to be developed. You got to grow in faith. And you got to start small. We want to build a second story on a house that we don't even have a foundation for. You got to start with the little things. If you're faithful over a few things, the Bible said He'd make you ruler over many. So when you're facing, you know, we want healing from cancer, but we never pray when we have a headache. We go pop some Advil. That don't work. We throw some Tylenol in with it. If that don't work, we start looking for the prescription, you know, three-year-old prescription when I got my tooth pulled. Codeine in it, you know. 
that don't work with like I'm gonna take a nap. Like hopefully it's gone when I get up. You know, it, it's uh, when when the first thing we probably ought to do is say. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. I don't know why I have a headache, but I just take authority over my own body in Jesus' name. And I'm going to claim healing for myself. And Really? Yeah. Because that's what you do when you're facing cancer or a tumor, God forbid. You're like, we got to pray. Well, Gideon had learned how to, to deal with his fear because he was dealing with the small things at first. And so the angel of the Lord, God don't miss nothing. He doesn't miss the little stuff. The widow gave a mite, and Jesus is watching the offering. I feel, I feel awkward up here when the baskets are up here, and I'm like trying to flip through my Bibles. I'm like, people think I'm looking in the basket. You know, I'm not trying to look in the basket. Jesus is watching the basket, and this little lady drops a mite in, and he says she gave more than anybody in this room. This other dude's like, I gave $25,000. Uh, yeah, but you gave and has so much more left. She gave everything she has. She gave out of her necessity. The small things are not missed by the Lord. He watches. He sees the small things. And, and so he saw Gideon. The angel's watching Gideon out there. He's been dealing with his fear for a long time. And so that's why Gideon only had 10,000 men left. So the Lord thins the herd. Then he whittles the number down even more. That's the way they drank. Jesus said, Jesus. The Lord said, take them by this water. He said, uh, kneel down. You know, whoever kneels down, puts their sword down, goes all in. Like, they're, they're not, they're not, their head's not in the game. He said, but whoever kneels down, prepared, has their sword, and they kind of lap the water up like they said, those are the ones, that, that's who you're going to get. And he's like, I'm sure everybody's got their head in the game. You know, he's a preacher. He's a good preacher. He's, he had 32,000, now he's got 10,000. He's like, I know I got a bunch of, these people, they're going to they're gonna do it right. And so Gideon probably leads the way. Wouldn't you think he's wanting to model and mentor for these people the right way to do it? Because he wants them all to stay. So the preacher, he gets down, he has his sword, you know. He's smiling, looking around, making sure he's obvious. And he's like, blap, blap, blap. And 9,700 of the 10,000, they put their swords down, go all in. Sucking up that water. Woo! I mean, I see them out there doing a backstroke. You know, oh, this is great, man. Totally vulnerable and exposed. And Gideon has to be so disappointed. I thought my ministry was so powerful. I thought everybody was following me, doing it the way I thought they ought to do it. And only 300 are not. And the Lord says, tell the 9,700 to go home. He's like, hey, fellas, all you guys out there, all you guys in the water, you out there on the, on the inflatable swan, hey, go home. Go home. We'll we'll, we're going to take care of it, just me and these 300 guys. So, Jonathan said, 
in 1 Samuel 14, he said, God can save by many. God can save by few. Doesn't make any difference. But I tell you what, God's going to use somebody. He's going to use somebody. And Gideon had made up his mind, if you're going to use anybody, you're going to use me. And, and God let him know the enemy's been having nightmares about you, Gideon. He snuck down to the enemy's camp, those big, bad Midianite Amorites. And he overhears a guy talking. He's like, hey, man, I had a dream. This big biscuit came rolling down the mountain and smashed our entire camp, wiped everybody out. And the guy's like, oh, my God, that biscuit is Gideon. It's Gideon. Gideon is the big biscuit. He's going to kill us all. The enemy was having nightmares about this courageous leader with only 300 men who were with him. I'm telling you, God will reduce you so he can get all the glory. It is a subtraction so he can multiply. He will get the victory, but he's going to get all the glory to boot. And it's not like we're all that and whatever. It's, it's to God be the glory, but God, I'm going to be in the game. My faith is engaged in this. I am not going to be the one that is filled with fear and I'm not going to be the one whose head is not in the game, and I am not aware of the warfare that's about to take place, but I am engaged. My faith is engaged. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And the Lord asked them to do some pretty ridiculous stuff, blow trumpets, break open these lamps, and shine. It was just ridiculous. God will cause you and ask you to do some stuff that seems ridiculous, but in that faithful obedience is a key that unlocks the power of heaven to defeat the enemy on your behalf. And so that's the way the victory was won. If you'll stand with me right now. In John 11, Lazarus got sick. The family told Jesus. They gave him a four-day warning. Your buddy Lazarus is sick. Jesus only does what his father tells him to do. So he lingers. He hangs out. He goes to a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah. He goes to Chick-fil-A. I don't know. He's hanging out. Just staying around. He finally, finally makes it. The Spirit leads him. Boom, he shows up. Martha Gets out there. If you'd only been here, our brother wouldn't have died. We sent for you. And he said, I'm telling you, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. The odds have really gone down. I mean, now not only does he need to be healed, he needs to be raised from the dead in order to be healed. Things have gone from bad to worse. We have a subtraction that's taken place. But, oh, the multiplication, when, when he screams into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And that old boy starts hopping out of a tomb. And he says to others, loose him and let him go. The old boy's alive. Not only is he alive, as A.J. Holloway preached, or Alexander preached it. I forgot who all preached here. But the, the, all the corruption had, had been repaired. And whatever made him sick in the first place was taken care of and just amazing what God did. It was multiplied. And the witness of Lazarus shook all of that part of the world. 
It's one of the reasons Jesus was crucified. As a matter of fact, the same ones that crucified Jesus wanted to crucify Lazarus. They wanted to kill him because of the power of his testimony. I'm telling you, God wants to give you a powerful testimony. He's going to turn the test into a testimony, the mess into a message. It's not just cliche. It is the way our God works. He is Jehovah Nick of time. I can't explain it. I don't know why he does that. Sometimes it is the Nick of time. Sometimes it seems too late. But in hindsight, we say, I see why you did that. It's, it's, a, it's a multiplied effect. So, beloved, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. This too shall pass. It's temporary. Some of you going through a storm, you're going to come out on the other side. Now is not the time to throw in the towel. You're going to come through. Get a hold of your fear. Start conquering your fear a day at a time. Face the challenge that is ahead of you with maturity and, and with confidence, knowing that God is for you and not against you. Face it honestly. It's a storm. Yeah, it's a tough time right now, and I'm trusting God. People say, what are you going to do? I don't know, but I'm trusting God. I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to start uh, fearing and quitting and quitting church and backing out saying, I don't. God's not for me anymore. I'm going to declare it. If, if I go down swinging, you're going to hear the last words out of my mouth saying, God is for me and not against me. And I'll bless the Lord at all times. And His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.